Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. This week is our monthly chatty show where Denise and I just pretend that we're sitting around a table with you, catching up and talking about things that have been on our mind. And this week we were talking, since we've done a couple of episodes now on narcissists, like are you married to a narcissist? Is one of your parents a narcissist? We have gotten so many emails and Facebook messages from listeners saying, I think I might be a narcissist. Can I be an empath and a narcissist? My response has always been no, I don't think you can be both. But Denise, you did a little bit more research on this. I did because I started throwing around that narcissist word a lot. Like everything you pick up, it's narcissism. And I, I do think this is a genuine thing. But then I started thinking, all these people can't be narcissists. Some people are just self-absorbed. They're just very into themselves or they're egotistical or they're, they haven't had to share their life, whatever that may be. So I started like jumping down the rabbit hole a little bit to see. And one of the big, big key things that kept coming up was, does this person feel empathy? Do they feel remorse? Do they feel... So that was a key, key part in because a true, from what I've read, a true narcissist doesn't feel empathy and their moods are going to depend on someone else, not on, they're like so tied into getting that fed. If someone's just self-centered, they're not going to have all the conflicting symptoms of like extreme dependency on others, feeling superior, being disdainful and all that stuff. But the, the lack of empathy thing is a huge, huge, huge red flag. So if you're with someone in their constantly talking about themselves or, or going on and on, but they still feel empathy and compassion, then chances are you're, they're not truly a narcissist or if you're having those questions about yourself. Does that make so any sense? It does. So you can be a little self-absorbed or self-focused and still be an empath and not be a narcissist. Yes. Yes. And I think as, because you know how much I love brain chemistry, I think they're going to start finding little patterns in brain chemistry with narcissism, don't you? Yeah, I do. I really do. And I wonder if we're just moving into a time of self-absorption because of the whole selfie culture we live in. Well, and that's true. And it, but okay, so this was one of the ones that caught me up. So, it, you know, it, narcissists think they're better than other people, and that may be blatantly obvious, or it may be just inferred. But if someone thinks they're they're smarter, more important, they're better. See, somebody who's self-centered might have those same tendencies, but they're just craving the attention and please pay, pay attention to me, but they can listen to other people. Whereas a narcissist wants to be noticed and makes it clear that they're superior and everyone should kind of kowtow and, oh, aren't you amazing? That's a big difference. That's a huge difference. Um, you know, entitlement is another one. Narcissists can feel entitled to things, whereas self-centered people, you know how I throw this word around, but I really do love it, is, you know, does it impact your moral compass? And sometimes, and we've talked about the spectrum of narcissism and how, uh, you know, and everything, there, there's a variance, but morally, I think if someone's self-absorbed, they're going to have clearer moral values that align with, with society and are guided by empathy than a narcissistic person who may not feel that those rules apply to them or even blame other people for their actions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And I think when you're dealing with someone who's self-absorbed, it can be confusing because often they will act very 
empathic and connected and tuned into you. Yes. It's just more a scale, you know, where the, the scale normally tips to them and their needs. Yes, yes. But they're, they're still able to step over that line. Whereas I think narcissist relationships, from everything we've read and talked about, all the shows we've done and, and the more research that's coming out, relationships tend to be transactional. While self-centered people can still have some reciprocity in their relationships, the narcissist often tends to seek out partners or friends for their high status or a connection that they may be able to make, or they're especially beautiful or accomplished or socially prominent. So th there's usually, I want you in my life because it's going to help me or feed me. Whereas I think sometimes that people who are self-centered may not be to that extreme, often aren't to that extreme. Do you think self-absorbed people are capable of unconditional love? I don't know. I, I, I think there would be other factors involved, don't you? Like, yeah. is it, has it, well, age would be one thing. How ingrained is this? Is that the, um, do they see that as a problem? Has, have, because I think the only way you can change a behavior is once you realize, oh, this isn't working for me anymore. And if it's working for them, why would they change it? Like if they have people in their lives that feed that need, why would they see any problem with, well, I have people in my life that seem to care about me. I guess everything's okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's can? a tricky question because I've, I've had self-absorbed friends who are capable of dropping everything and being there for me when I need them, which I think is a version of unconditional love, putting someone else's needs before your own, not looking at every interaction as a transaction and just being fully present, you know, with the person you're with. And yet there are other times where those self-absorbed friends just have no cognitive awareness of the needs of those around them. Right. Doesn't mean that they aren't loving or kind or empathic. It just means that the majority of their focus is on them. Right. Like I had a friend this holiday season, you know, as I mentioned on the show before, my mom fell and fractured her back and needed me a lot this holiday season. My three kids needed me. My four pets needed me. My little dog, Lily, is getting better, but oh, she still needs medication twice a day and has a lot of ramifications with that medicine. So I, I had a lot going on and, and I was trying to share it with a friend who doesn't have anything going on in terms of being needed by anyone right now in her life. And the whole conversation was about her and how she had to do all these extra things for the holidays and she was invited to too many parties and she was tired of driving from this party to that party and having to shop for this gift and that gift. And I thought, wow, you're not hearing me at mm -hmm. all. And I think that's an example of self-absorption, not a narcissist, just not being aware of, wow, this person's really in the weeds right now. I should listen. You're right, because that, that's that whole thing when people glaze over. So I think a narcissist and self-absorbed people, this is a similarity, because you know how I go down the rabbit hole and I start doing the behaviors thing. When people glaze over when you're talking to them and you know they're really not hearing what I'm saying or they're not listening, similar to what you're saying about this this person with oh my gosh, how am I going to make it to my next party on time? So they'll, they'll pretend like a self-centered person or a self-absorbed person, like they're showing an interest in what you're saying, 
The difference is that they may genuinely want to be interested in what you're saying, but they're having a hard time keeping that interest level. Like it's almost like having a minute attention span. Okay, we talked about you for 30 seconds. Now let's talk about me again. But a narcissist, I think, will feign that interest and then they'll switch the topic back depending on what they hope to gain from listening to you and whether or not they, it's worth that. You know how when people are thinking about what their response is going to be rather than listening to the conversation? Yes. That's what it feels like to me. Like, okay, I'm going to just, I'll put up with this for a minute, but then we need to get back to what I want to talk about. And they're very, to, to me, my, my personal experience is a narcissist is able to shift that back so that all of a sudden it's all about them again. And, and sometimes if you're paying attention, it can be like, how the hell did that just happen again? Yeah. And it happens so effortlessly. They're very, very good at it. Yes. I'm always shocked at people's capacity to sit at a lunch or a dinner conversation with someone for an hour or two and never ask one question about how the other person is doing. Yes. So is that narcissism or is it self-absorbed or could it be both? I think it could be both, Me but too. I think it's a spectrum like so many things. And I think I've always believed and I think Dr. Northrup says that in her book, Dodging Energy Vampires, if you're asking, am I a narcissist, you're not a narcissist. Yes. Because they don't have that self-awareness to even pose or meditate on the question. But I think if people are asking, am I a narcissist, it could indicate that you have some self-absorption issues. Okay. And this is the other, the, the little bit further question with that is, as empaths who may have fallen into a people-pleasing role or have been in relationships that weren't balanced or family of origin issues, do we have to learn a little bit of self-absorption, not, not over the top, but learn a little bit of that in order to be able to start to take care of ourselves and realize we don't have to always be the one giving to everyone else? Oh, see, that's tricky. You, <laughs> it is. You and I have both said we're actually much more comfortable to just sit and allow people to talk about themselves. Yes. It's easier. People love to do it. They don't even notice that they're doing it. And we get to just sit there and be present for them without having the spotlight on us. To switch that around and consciously put the spotlight on yourself, I think that would be uncomfortable and difficult. And I don't know if I would. I think we're trying to take care of ourselves, but we don't want, I mean, I worry about that. And, and we've had this conversation. I have asked you, do you think I'm a narcissist? And we whisper it like somebody's going to hear us. <laughs> and, and I think that we all, as empaths, a lot of us worry about that. Am I seeing this in everyone yeah. else because they're actually holding up a mirror and this is my stuff? You are the farthest thing from a narcissist. You well, will call you me well. with like really, really big news. And we'll talk about it for like 20 minutes. And then you'll go, enough about me. How are you? And I'm like, no, this is really big. It's well, you bigger than the 20. same thing. I, you do. I probably do. I don't know. You do. But I know you do it. I'm like, no, no, no. We need to keep the focus on you. This is huge. But I think so, as a lot of us are uncomfortable with that because we don't know how to do it. Yeah. And so anyway, I, th I just really think that that's something to consider is if you're dealing with someone and you're on the fence of, are they really a narcissist or are they just 
self-absorbed or are they and and i'm not talking about you have a, you're a single person and you have a friend that has three little babies and they're saying i'm sorry i can't come to the bar and drink with you tonight they're not being self-absorbed they're being overwhelmed they're not doing that to personally hurt you right. and i'm just flashing back to i had a friend who was single when the boys were were younger and she'd say oh well we're all going down and we're going to have wings and we're going to dip and i'd say i can't go well you never want to go out and I'm thinking, no, that's just not an option at this point in my life. <laughs> I think it's something to think about and to do a little Google. I do too. And, and if you think you could be self-absorbed, I do think it's a behavior that can be unlearned. Oh, yes. You know, just by practicing conscious listening, by trying to really be there for someone like, you know what one of my pet peeves is? And I don't even know if this has anything to do with being self-absorbed. Actually, I don't think it does. But I, I have a friend who's a little self-absorbed. And whenever anything, you know, big is going on in my life, she'll say, okay, what can I do for you? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, I don't really need anything. I just wanted you to listen. Okay, but what can I do? Should I, you know, make a meal? Should I'm like, no, 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 I just, I just need you to, to listen, but I need to do something. And I'm like, no, no, just, just listen to me. And I don't know what that is, but it's kind of a pet peeve of mine. Like I'm not, if I'm going to someone because I need to talk out a problem, I don't need it fixed. Some problems are unfixable. I just need someone to listen for me. And I think sometimes self-absorbed people have a hard time with that because they want to just fix it and then move the spotlight back to them. But that could just be my projection. I don't know. What do you think? Oh, I don't think that's a projection at all. I think you're spot on. I think you're absolutely spot on with that. And I think we, a lot of us suffer with that of wondering how, how do we find this balance between the two? I think the first thing we all can do to avoid being self-absorbed is to practice walking in that person's shoes and 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 take the pause kind of like we were talking about last week and thinking okay what is this person going through right now how does it feel for them what what do they intuitively need from me most right now do they sometimes there are problems that do need fixing mm -hmm. you know i have to go to this event i don't have a babysitter okay i can help and babysit um or you know, I don't like my job. All right, let's sit and brainstorm some things you can do to get a new employment. Some things you do need that. But if you sit there and focus on that person and not, you know, how, how many times are you talking to someone and you can almost see the circles going in their head where they're just thinking of stories they have that will mm -hmm. relate to what you're talking about, but they're not really listening to you. Right. Maybe that's that glazed over thing you were talking about. Yes. And I find that to be um, kind of detrimental. So if, if we could practice active listening and really being present for that person, I think that's a really good step to move away from any self-absorption. And also to just kind of take a step back and not focus on yourself so much. That's one good thing I believe is so wonderful about having children or pets because you learn life isn't about you all the time, nor should it be. And it's just a lifelong skill I think people need to learn. Life isn't always about you. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not. And learning to, you know, kind of take a step back and focus right. on other people is really, really helpful. 
So one thing, and this is just, I, if you have a conversation and you say you call someone on it and you say, I don't feel valued, I don't feel seen, I don't feel, pay attention to how they react and how you feel to their reaction. That might be a little bit of an indicator as well. Yeah. And if someone calls you and says that, instead of saying, oh, I know exactly what you mean, just this week, I da 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 don't do that because that's not what that person is looking for. You focus on what they are saying and ask them questions about what they are saying. Well, what makes you feel that way? How is that true in your life right now? How long have you been feeling this way? You keep the focus on them. I think that's important. Yes. And it's kind. Yeah. It's empathic. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of what we do here. (laughs) Kind of what we do. So that hopefully that will just answer everyone's question that if you think you're a narcissist, you probably aren't. We don't believe you can be an empath and a narcissist, but it is possible to be an empath and a little self-absorbed. However, there are times in your life where you're going to be a little self-absorbed. If you're working full-time and going back to school at night, it is all about you right now because you've got so much going on. If you're working all the time and you do have little kids at home and a parent who needs you, you might feel as though everything is about you because you're juggling too many plates. We're talking about patterns of behavior here that are consistent and chronic. Yes. Yes. And how, again, as, as that empathic part, How do you feel when you're around them? And pay attention to that. Yes. Pay attention to not only how you feel when you're around them, but how you feel when their ID pops up on your phone. Are you excited to answer that call? Or, hmm, I can get to that later. Mm -hmm. That's often a big big sign. Yes. That's a big one. Yeah. And if you have people avoiding your phone calls, there might be a reason. They might just be busy in that moment or... Maybe you're in that self-absorbed stage of your own life. I do think we all go there from time to time. I think we have to. Yeah, I do too. I think we're just talking about uh, a consistent pattern of always, always directing every conversation and situation back to you. And when it doesn't feel balanced, when it doesn't feel like there's, if we're talking friends, relationships, coworkers, um, it, it doesn't matter. It, it's just honoring yourself in the situation. That balance of give and take. Mm-hmm. Well, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about a book on our reading list that we think is a really helpful read for the new year as we start to set some new goals. But before we dive into that, Denise and I wanted to tell you that on January 22nd at 7 p.m., we have a free webinar coming up from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern, where you can just log on, tune in, listen and see Denise and I, and talk about our upcoming series of Mediumship 101 and Advanced Mediumship classes that we're going to be teaching in February, March, and April. It's a big investment of time, and you are required to partner up with someone each week and do some exercises, either over the phone or on Skype or FaceTime or through texting. And so it is a lot of time. It's a lot of material that we cover and it's kind of life-changing. I mean, 
the people that we have taught are either doing this work in a professional way or using this work to enhance their life and their own connection with their loved ones in heaven. They are going through spiritual awakenings and really linking into their soul purpose. And so a lot of people will email us and say, is this class for me? Do I need to have this skill, that skill, or this knowledge before signing up? And so instead of just answering all those emails one at a time, we just thought it would be easier to have this free webinar, allow you guys to see us, see if you like the way we teach, see if you enjoy the process of logging in through Zoom, and have an opportunity to ask us all those questions you have before you make this commitment to take these really exciting, informative, and in my opinion, life-changing classes. So you can sign up for that free webinar by either going to samanthafay.com or Denise's website, thegratefulmessenger.com. We'll post it on Facebook and Denise will put it in the show notes of this episode as well. And you can read all sorts of more information about it on our websites. But we hope to see you there January 22nd at 7 p.m. Okay, so tell everyone about this book you want us all to read. Well, I was listening to a podcast and... The lady was interviewing this man named James Clear, and Atomic Habits is the name of the book. And I was just spellbound by the whole thing because he was, again, he's a behaviorist, which after my own heart, but he was talking about how habits are compound interest of self-improvement. So instead of like always focusing on, um, and I use this example when we chatted about it earlier is, I'm going to write a book. I want to write a book. That's my goal. And then you write one sentence and you're like, I'm never going to write that book. I just write a sentence. Shifting that and realizing that it's incremental steps and it's not about the end goal. It's about changing your behavioral patterns to switch from being, I want to write the book to embracing I'm a writer and just how those subtle changes. But he gave four steps on how to institute a behavioral change. And it was about making it obvious, like really make it obvious why you want this, have it in your life, but see, see it as real, um, make it an attractive goal that you want to do. So does that bring me peace? Is it going to be a stepping stone? But really make it so that it's fun and you want to do it, not make it drudgery. Because I think that's what a lot, okay, we're at early in the year right now and people are setting whether you want to call them intentions or New Year's resolutions or goals or whatever they are. But it's similar to when I used to go to the gym all the time. And right after the first of the year, it would be mobbed, packed. You couldn't get any machines. And then about six weeks later, it would be back to normal because all the New <laughs> so Year's true. resolutions had worn off. Right. Uh, you know, and, and make it easy enough so that like his whole thing is he talks about it's a 1%. So if you write that one sentence today, and tomorrow you write two sentences and you're saying, well, this is not going anywhere. I just wrote three sentences, big deal. But if you keep doing those little tiny increments, you're going to build this beautiful foundation. And while he was listening to it, he gave this example of, uh, you, so you've written, you've written this novel, you're doing it, you've been writing for seven months, you're still not published, you don't have it out there, you still have a rough draft that needs to be edited you still have seven months of work that you've been slowly and surely incrementally building. And I just, I love that attitude. And also to make it satisfying. And he says, reverse those if you want to like break a habit. But what I, I really liked is that it's, it's not that you're, um, 
Like you're trying to make the change so that you'll have the, the biggest returns that you instead, all the hard work you're, you're putting in isn't being wasted. It's just kind of being stored a little bit until it's time for it to happen. Does that, do you like that? I like that a lot because, you know, I teach um, on manifesting. I'm just teaching a webinar this month on, on how to manifest. And one of the really big steps besides visualizing it and feeling it and really, you know, trusting the process that this is a goal you can manifest is taking those action steps. And what are those action steps but habits? I mean, we are what we repeatedly do as the saying goes. Yes, and, and how we can get, like if when things plateau, so you start out, you're losing the weight, you're writing the book, you're doing the yoga, you do whatever that might be, and then you hit that flat, that's when people crash and burn and say, I'm not gonna do this. But if you break it down into these little tiny pieces, it makes it easier to keep that ball rolling. Um, yeah, and so instead of having um, a goal like, I don't know, I'm going to, make a million dollars this year, break it down into, I'm going to pay all my bills every month and have money left over. Yes. And then once you break that goal down, you have to take action steps that become a habit to make that goal palatable and, and actually able to happen. Meaning you cut out some extras so that you can achieve that smaller goal. And then next year you can build on that goal. And the year after that, you can build on that goal. Because if you're really changing the behavior, you're changing your identity. You're, you're redefining who you are and who you're becoming. Similar to when you first quit smoking and all you can think about, I mean, there's that first thing of when you get to leave the house and you don't have to immediately check, do I have cigarettes? Do I have a lighter? Do I have enough money if I need to stop at the store and get another pack of cigarettes? When you, when you start to, there's a very freedom in not having to do that. And then you start walking more and you can breathe when you walk up the hills and it's all incremental. And then at some point in your life, you don't feel like a smoker anymore, but you don't immediately not feel like a smoker. So is he saying that making these atomic habits is about accepting yourself in the process of failure towards that habit or that change? Yes. Yes, because his whole thing is you're changing your identity and every action you take is a vote for or against the person you want to become. So if your goal is, I want to truly be a musician, I'm going to be a musician and all you can get in your head is, I want to be a musician, but I see myself at this, you know, accepting this award or being on this specific stage or having thousands of listeners rather than I'm going to play music every day and increase my skill set and get better at it and put myself out there. Right. And focusing on the why of that goal and the joy in achieving that goal, I think is so important as well. You know, why do you want to achieve this goal? What joy is it going to bring you? Because some of the goals in the moment don't feel very joyful. Right. But if you focus on, on the outcome and why this is important to you, you know, like if, if you do have a goal of getting in shape this year, going to the gym the first six weeks, six months, it's not very fun. No. And you kind of feel like an outsider and like you don't know what you're doing and you don't belong there and it's very, very awkward. But if you can focus on the outcome, I'm going to be healthy, I'm going to feel better about myself, and 
and accept yourself during those moments where you have little failures, where you don't go to the gym or you do eat that extra bit of ice cream after dinner. Don't use those as excuses to give up on your goals. And maybe even don't look at them as goals, but take a cue from the title of his book and look at them as new habits. And again, his book is based on scientific research and from personal experience. So he was in a, had a serious injury, which caused him to take a detour in his life. And then he became an entrepreneur, but was studying consumer psychology so he could better understand why people buy things. And then he became fascinated with behavioral psychology and habit formation. So it's kind of interesting that it isn't just a pick yourself up and you can do it kind of a book. There's actual research to support what he's saying. Did he say how long it takes to make a new habit? Because I've read different things. I've read 21 to 30 days. I've read three to six months. Most of the studies I've looked at have said 21 to 30 days to create a new That's habit. That's what I've heard as well. I don't remember him mentioning that. I'm sure it's somewhere in the book. Oh, I, one more last part about that was he, he said it's not about the goals. It's about changing your systems of operation, changing your... your um, the approach to changing your habits is also changing how you do things, your simple like step-by-step -step strategies so that you're changing. It's, it's true behavior mod for anyone who has had any background with, um, you know, working with people with learning difficulties or behavioral challenges or anything that you break it down and task analyze into these little tiny bites where someone can be successful and then you build on the next one. So you really, really break it down. Very, very, very long time ago, I worked in a state institution for profoundly impaired people. And one of my goals for an entire summer was to try to help someone learn to eat with a spoon. And every day I went in and we worked on trying to feed himself with that spoon. And it was hand over hand. And it was in month, day after day, the same routine. So in, in retrospect, that was kind of what this man is saying. Build up those routines, build up that practice, build up that, that muscle memory and that mind memory. So that you, and it, it gives you self-confidence if you keep doing it over and over again, similar to your gym analogy. It does give you self-confidence and it also gives you a measure of control over your life. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how illusionary or not that is, but I know like in my 20s, I was a bit of a rolling stone, you know, like if someone just appeared in my life and wanted to be my friend, I'd be like, okay, let's see where that goes. And then I'd find out, mm, this isn't really someone I want to be friends with, rather than making that decision beforehand. Or if a job just kind of plopped into my lap, I'd be like, oh, that, that looks like a good place to work. Let's, let's go apply and take that job. And then finding out eh, it wasn't really for me. Once I started learning manifesting techniques and how to write a goal book or do a vision board, it helped me mature and grow up in my 20s and realize you can't go through life as a rolling stone. You have to consciously think about who you're attracting into your life, what you're attracting into your life, and who and what you want to consciously attract into your life. So I, I think changing those habits can be really, really helpful in every area of our life, not just new year goals. Okay. And being the poster child, it's never too late because I'm just now getting this, I think. 
I really do. I think I'm just now figuring this out. So I don't, don't say I'm, it's up to, oh, I, oh, I do. Um, but just, just know it's never too late to institute the changes or to, to become who you really want to be or to, I think we're all at this beautiful, beautiful turning point of embracing who we really are and stepping up to do what we really came here to do. And if that's altruistic, bring it on because I, I truly believe that. I think that the energies are shifting, the numbers are shifting, the, uh, all this eclipse energy we just got through, it's all pointing us towards this very, what feels to me, um, a very empowered, uplifting kind of energy that we haven't felt in a long time. What do you think about the number of goals? Because I don't think people should uh, like set five big goals for a year. I think it should be I think you should break down the number of goals as well. I think if you're trying to do too much change at once, it can feel very overwhelming and it can invite failure. I think and, one to three goals is a better number. Do you agree? Yeah. And that's what pretty much this guy is saying with, by changing the habits, the goals will be the result, but you're not focusing on being the goal. You're focusing on changing who you are in your way of approaching things so that you'll have higher success levels. Yeah. And and sometimes just writing down your goals can help you decide what changes you want to make in the long run. You know, for years when I taught English at the community college, I would have them for their narrative essay, I would have them write an essay on their goals and they would have to write about their short-term goals for this year and their long-term goals for their life. One of my students, his goal was to work for NASA. And it was a well-written paper. And I said to him, okay, this is a great goal. What are you majoring in? And he said, business. And I was like, well, um, maybe you should think about, you know, like science or, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, like shifting that a little bit so that you'll be more in line with, with NASA's recommendations. I remember another student wrote a goal, a goal book for her narrative essay, and it was all contingent on other people. Like, I'm going to do this when I, like, one of her goals was to marry her boyfriend, who was very, very wealthy. Mm -hmm. And she said, when I marry him, I'm going to get this house at the beach. And when I marry him, I'm going to travel all over to here, here, and there. None of the goals had anything to, that was really substance or had anything to do with her. And so I had her rewrite that paper and focus just on goals for herself. What a I've, beautiful gift you gave to her by doing that. I hope so. But I've had other students who have written those papers where the goals are all their parents' expectations. Mm -hmm. You know, and I've sat with the student and said, do you really want to go to grad school or is it because everyone in your family went to grad school? Like, what do you really want to do? Mm -hmm. And so I think just the exercise of sitting down and focusing what are some habits I want to change? What are some habits I want to break? And what are some goals I want to focus on can really help bring a lot of clarity into what situations we're just rolling into like a rolling stone or consciously co-creating with the universe. Yes. Excellent. Excellent point. Because the key with breaking habits is if you can't see yourself doing that, whatever it is, if you can't, really and truly imagine it, it's probably not going to happen for you. True. You know what I mean? I, I have a good friend from college and, um, you know, when we were in college, she would eat whatever she wanted and, and 
and still was, you know, in really, really good shape. And when we got together about 10 years later, she was still in really, really good shape, but she was eating like salads and fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds and, you know, very, very healthy stuff. And I said, what happened to like the corn chips and the, (laughs) the pasta dinners? And she said, well, I can't eat like that anymore. You know, my body just doesn't allow it. So I have to watch what I eat and have to exercise every day. And and she said, I allow myself sugar two times a year on my birthday and Christmas time. That's all? That's it. Oh, see, that's, oh, no, there's no need of that. That was my reaction, too. And at the time, I was supplementing my teacher income by being the cookie lady and selling cookies to <laughs> coffee shops. And, and I thought, I don't think I could, I couldn't see myself cutting out sugar to that level. I mean, I really couldn't. And so I knew I couldn't set that as a goal to just eat sugar twice a year. But I knew I could set as a goal to reduce my sugar intake. Yes. Yes. Goes back to the balance thing. Yeah. Yeah. And and please, if anyone's a nutritionist and listening, we're not promoting sugar. We're not promoting diabetes. We're not promoting an unhealthy lifestyle, but a little... I'm a big believer in balance with food. I really am. Anyway, sorry. Look, she made awesome cakes with natural sweeteners. I mean, she showed me it is possible, mm-hmm. but it just wasn't probable for me at that time. Right. <laughs> but I have been able to significantly reduce my sugar intake, and I'm really happy and, and I'm proud that I've been able to do that. I still bake. I still eat sugar, just not at the rate I was doing back then look at your goal and think, is this possible? Yes. Is it probable? (laughs) Maybe not. And that's okay. That's why you just break it down a little bit. Mm -hmm. I could see a time when I don't have kids in the house and I don't feel that need to, you know, make dinner and make dessert that I could cut sugar out even more, but I have to get there in baby steps. Yes. And that is also a process being that person. So just, just know, <laughs> be gentle with yourself. <laughs> I want to jump to a new topic. Are we sure. ready? Go right okay. ahead. Now, this, is, this is one that's been troubling me for a while, is when, when you have something good happening in your life or you've had something that you've worked really hard to overcome or you're, you want, and people aren't, people you care about or people aren't happy that your things are going well for you. And I think as empaths, we take that to heart. And mm. what my, my default is I just don't tell people that I know will have that reaction. And the reason I wanted to talk about this was I had a conversation with someone recently who I hadn't even, and someone quite, you know, I've known for a long, long time, but I've never even mentioned the RV because I knew I, it would be, um, oh, aren't you lucky? Boy, that must be nice. I can't, how, did you, how did you ever afford that? What, and I didn't, want, I didn't want to have the conversation. I didn't want to feel that way, but I also didn't, I didn't feel comfortable sharing what was kind of fun news. So you have any in, input? On, what do you think about that? I think that's really hard. I think it's very, very tricky. And I think it's hard on both sides of the spectrum. So I think it's hard for your friend and I think it's hard for you. Yes. 
when I have had those experiences where people aren't happy for my success, I do take it personally and I do tend to downplay it. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a not so good thing, but I do know even with, if we go back to manifesting and goals, I do know it's so important to choose who you share your goals with and who you share your news with. Yes. I think that is really, really important. There's that scene from The Secret documentary movie, whatever, where they show a new little seed just about to sprout through the earth and how fragile and gentle that first bud is. And if someone comes and stomps on our dream or our goal just as it's about to take root, it can be really hard to back away from that. And I think the same goes for good news we're trying to share. So I agree with you and I will kind of weigh who I tell my good news to. But the other side of that, I I have a family member who is incredibly wealthy, like not even in the top 1%, like the top 1% of the 1%, like a lot of money. And she never tells us anything really about what she does with that money. But then I'll go on Facebook or Instagram and be like, oh, they're in Europe right now. They're in Turks and Caicos. Oh, they just got a new car. They, and it, it's very hurtful to not know that that's happening. And I feel like, are they not telling me because they are like, oh, poor little peasant, she won't understand and it'll make her feel bad. <laughs> well, that's, yes, exactly. Because then if someone finds out about your good news and you haven't shared it with them, they're going to say, well, why didn't you tell me? Right, right. So what I try to do when I'm on that happy end of being the person with good news or something happy to share, and I know the other person won't receive it well, I will tell them if it's a situation where they're going to find out anyway, but I will try to downplay it a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, like... Um, exactly, yes. Same being, thing. being like like a wannabe writer, I have a lot of other wannabe writer friends, and that can be really tricky when you have some writing success. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I first got my agent, I called my friend, asked her to meet me for coffee, and I said, hey, I got an agent and I'm really excited and I wanted to share it with you. And I wanted to remind you of the promise we made to each other that whoever makes it first will help the other one. So just know that my success is your success too. Mm -hmm. And that's how I kind of weighed that one out so that it wasn't, I wanted it to be like, this is something we can all celebrate because if I can do it, hell anyone can do, you know? So that's what I try to do in those situations, but it's always Was it received tricky. well? Yes. Oh, yes. Okay, very, very good. well. But it's always hard. And um, I will try to, like, what I do is I'll practice the conversation in my head first. Mm-hmm. Do you do you that? Too. All the time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because that way it, it, as weird as it sounds, if I have the conversation, or I'll write about it in my journal in the morning, I'll write through it to say, okay, what am I missing? How is this person going to feel? And I'll kind of practice it so that when the time comes up, I have, it's not scripted, but I can almost channel what I've already come through with. I won't get as flustered. I won't get thrown off as easily. Yes. Yeah. And you've got it planned in your head, what you're going to say if they respond this way or that way. And so then I think we also present the good news in a better way too. 
But you have to you have to also recognize that some people in your life are just negative Nancys and they're always going to be that way. And that's when I rely on the four agreements, especially the one don't take anything personally. Mm-hmm. It's not about you, it's about them. Right. And what is that other expression? What people think of you is none of your business. Exactly. Exactly. And so celebrate your news with people who will receive it kind of downplay the news with people who won't receive it so well and try not to take it personally and remember that it's always about that other person how someone reacts to you is about them and says so much about them not you but also don't downplay if you've worked really hard to lose the weight to quit a bad habit to pay off your debt to find to go on the vacation it doesn't matter what it is to write the book it doesn't matter don't let someone else's opinion of that take away your joy and your light in what you've accomplished that can be really really hard too oh incredibly hard it sounds good looks good on paper but actually (laughs) implementing it is another whole story I remember when I lost the baby weight, I would be out with my friends from playgroup or something and we'd have a glass of wine and they'd all order dessert and I wouldn't because I was watching what I was eating. And one friend would always say, see, she doesn't eat. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, I I actually eat food all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I just am choosing not to have like a 300 calorie glass of wine and a 500 calorie piece of cake because this goal of losing the baby weight is more important to me than this piece of cake. But I heard comments like that, that entire year or two after I finally lost the baby weight and it was hurtful. And I, Mm -hmm. and I had to realize this, this isn't about me. It's about, you know, her and her insecurities of not losing her baby weight, but it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. No. And especially if you want people who are, well, that's having an expectation. But what I was going to say, if you want to share something with people that you feel, maybe they're family members, maybe they're old friends, maybe they're your partner person, it doesn't matter who they are. But if it was reversed, you would be ridiculously happy and supportive for them. Yes. And I know it's not, uh, it's not about um, reciprocity. Oh, I said this, you said, that's not what I'm talking about. But wanting someone to share it with, and have them be happy because they are just genuinely happy for you. Yeah. And I think sometimes when we have those experiences of realizing that there's a lot of people who aren't really happy for some of the things in our lives, it's also the universe telling you to seek not a new tribe, but an additional tribe. Or, you know, for, for some of us, I'm not holding the mirror too close on this one. Yes, implies sarcasm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it takes a lot of time to get that through my head. And I will keep trying and trying and trying. And then I'll just be like, okay, namaste. Thank you so much for that lesson. I'm going to not bring this up ever again. I'm not going to put myself in that position to feel less because of what someone else's reaction or, or words may be. That's a tough one. It's a very tough one. One of the things that was so hard for me was when I was on this journey of realizing I was intuitive and could connect and read people and connect to the other side, I would get so excited. And that was, that was my good news. 
Mm-hmm. You know, if I did a really good reading and made a really important connection, all I wanted to do was call up people and talk about it. And the people in my life didn't understand that. It made them uncomfortable. It didn't fit in their biblical knowledge of what was right. And they didn't want to hear it. And it left me feeling kind of alone and misunderstood and, you know, kind of lost in this joy of discovery of, gosh, there's something so much bigger than this world we live in and so much more important. And that's all I wanted to talk about. But rather than like sitting with that feeling of nobody understands me, I used it as motivation to seek out additional tribe members. And that's how I met you. And that's how I met the other people in my life who get this stuff. Now, not everyone in my life gets it and still they don't want to talk about it to this day. And that's okay. But I have additional tribe members who do get it and do celebrate when I have something exciting that I researched or that I connected with in a reading. And I think the onus is on us to go out there and make those connections. Yes. You know, if you're not getting that positive feedback from the people in your life, sometimes those people are family members and there's not a damn thing you can do about your family. You know, mm-hmm. they're your family, but you can add to that group of, of your village. And be selective what you open yourself up to. Yes. Yes. And try not to get victimy about that. You know, that pity party mode we can mm-hmm. all go to of, oh, you've got no one to share this with. You do. You do have someone you can share this with. You have, you know, different things. Like if with my writing stuff, I'm not going to, you know, my friend that I walk with every day who has no interest in being a writer, I'm not going to necessarily tell her all the little, I just wrote an article that, you know, had this impact and got this thing accomplished. She's, she's going to be happy for me, but it's not, you know, but my writing friends, I can call and say, this just happened to me and I'm so excited and they'll get it. Mm-hmm. And so I think we have to actively go out into the world and seek those like-minded people rather than just waiting for them to show up at our door. You know, what just popped into my head is when I'll, we'll call each other and say, I was doing a reading and can you believe, oh my God, this came through. And, and it's just like, so, who are you going to tell except another medium? Exactly. <laughs> Who's going to understand it? Because you tell someone else, oh, this person in spirit showed me this and this. And, and it's like, oh, my God, what a good hit. You can't say that to the person you're talking to because they're going to think, oh, you've got a bit of an ego. But I can call you and say that. And you'll be like, holy shit, that's a damn good hit. And, I mean, that that's what we're talking about here is find your people that you can share your hit with. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is so funny. I was telling um, years ago, I was telling a friend that, you know, I said, I just did this reading and the person showed me that he has this job in heaven. And it was the first time I realized that people have jobs in heaven because I really didn't know what heaven was like. I knew we weren't like hanging out on clouds and playing harps and singing praises to, you know, a white guy with a beard and a throne, but I didn't really know what it was. And doing the readings, I started learning, gosh, like there's a whole life going on. And And so this um, person showed me that he had a job and he was so excited about it. And then I did another reading and the guy showed me that he had died in college and he was in college on the other side and had met a girlfriend and he was so excited and wanted his mom to know. And I thought that was so cool. And so I called up one of my friends and she was like, she literally quoted me the passage in the Bible that says, we are sleeping in our graves until, you know. Oh my. Yeah. 
And I was like, well, buzzkill. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Maybe our bodies, our bones are sleeping, but our souls are soaring. And she just couldn't grasp that. So I, you know, I, that's why I took classes and went to workshops and joined conferences and went on online groups so that I could meet people who would get it. I'm still very good friends with that woman. I don't disparage her for not agreeing with me. She doesn't disparage me for not agreeing with her. So again, you know, as we say so often on this show, it comes down to acceptance. But I will tell you, if we could just jump back to goals, because I think it ties into what you're saying. One of the things that I will often ask people when they are trying to create a goal, and then they finally achieve it, I will say to them, how did you reward yourself? And the response I always get is, well, getting the job, losing the weight, uh, quitting the cigarettes, whatever it is, that's the reward. And I always say, no, that's your new life now. How are you going to reward yourself in this moment for achieving this? And I think people forget that. Mm -hmm. It's really, really important to pat yourself on the back. Because not everyone, you know, we all aren't surrounded by rainbows and roses where people are going to throw us a party because we went to the gym three times a week for the last six months, you know, we have to throw our own party sometimes. And so having something in mind where you can say, okay, how am I going to celebrate this? Like you, you set a goal to get this RV and to have this lifestyle where you were more free and Mm -hmm. more in control of where you spend your winters and where you vacation and you're rewarding yourself with a fun little trip coming up. I think that's important. Right. And that's, it is important. It's also important not to let other people's naysaying take the the gleam off of it, whether it's, it doesn't matter what your situation is. Don't you think it helps, like when you called that person to tell them your good news, don't you think it helps to prepare yourself that you're going to be dinged a little? Well, I, I worked it in at the end of a conversation after this person had talked and talked and talked about all the things going on. And, and then I said, oh, by the way, and I just kind of slid it into the conversation. And I did exactly what you said. I downplayed how old it was, that it was this. Like I didn't talk about the positive aspects of the whole thing. I had to make it less to try to make it more digestible for the other person. I don't know how, what, what word I want to use there. Uh, but right. when I got off the phone, I took a minute. I did, like we talked about last week with the power of the pause, I took a minute and I took a deep breath and I said, you know what? That's not mine to own. And I just, I've, I've shared this before about how you can push energy back. You can put your hands up and push the energy back. And I said, no, thank you. That's not mine. And I pushed it back and because I don't want to own that anymore. I don't want to carry that anymore. No, no. And you want to break that cycle for, for right. yourself and for future generations, because I've seen families pass that on of, yes. you know, that whole, that whole thinking of don't trade the devil, you know, for the devil, you don't know, like stay in your box, stay in your lane. Don't try to think too big or be too big or grow too much. Stay here and you'll be liked and accepted. I've seen whole families pass that message on from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. And to be the person that breaks that message is big work. 
It really is. And whether you break that message through education, through financial independence, or through just being a more happy, positive person, just know that not only are you breaking that cycle for yourself, but I think it has a generational effect. It goes into our DNA. Yes. And from a a more um, indigenous or shamanic outlook, it sends that healing back as well as forward. Mm, That's such a good reminder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we're helping our ancestors as well. Yeah. Denise and I are getting ready to do a couple of shows next month on epigenetics. So we're researching all of this in our free time. That's why we keep mentioning it. But oh, and I'm, that is fascinating as all. I'm looking forward to those shows. I am too. We have so many great shows coming up for you guys in the next couple of months. So we thank you so, so much for listening to us and reaching out and sharing your experiences with us. If you want to share any comments on our little chatty shows each month or suggest a topic for a show or share a story or a question for our community connections, you can always email us enlightenedempaths at gmail.com. You can also message us on Facebook. You can find us there at Enlightened Empaths. And I'm trying to get better at posting more on Facebook and also posting more relevant links to our show topics. That's one of my goals for the new year that I'm already working on. So we hope you join us on our Facebook pages. And don't forget about our free webinar coming up on the 22nd. You can check out that and so much more at our websites, samanthafay.com and thegratefulmessenger.com. And if you're enjoying this show, please tell a friend or take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes because it really helps grow our community of enlightened empaths. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to show up, do great work, and share your light. Take care.